Grant, O God, that in the written word and through the spoken word, we may behold your living word, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We all do it, don't we? We find that little gap in our diaries and feel that we have to find something else to do so that we can fill the space. And even though I'm supposed to be retired, I know that I'm still guilty. And in my sane moments, I wonder why I do it. The worst case of filling every moment that I've ever seen was when I worked at the BBC. The manager of my department was a workaholic. And he would be at his desk at seven in the morning. And whatever time I went home, I passed his office and he always seemed to be there, beavering away. And do you know what the saddest thing about having someone at the top like that is? That I realized that his way of working had become endemic. And it was now taking place in the whole department. For me, it came to a head when I was helping to run a training course and we were using freelancers as well as people from my department. After a couple of weeks, one of them came to see me and we're very worried. And he said he was doing everything between, that he absolutely everything that he needed to do between nine and five. And yet then he left. So he said, why was everybody else starting at seven and why was everybody else there when he'd gone? And at the time, I found I really had no answer. But when I looked at the titles of the sermon series for the next five weeks, I suddenly realized that I might have the answer to that young man's question. Because as we look at the sorts of things that can become our idols in this busy world, I think the answer to the question is one of them. And here it is today, busyness. We're looking at busyness, especially in the workplace and how it can take over our daily lives. And we look at what happens when it does become our idol and how it affects us and our lives as Christians. We look at what happens when work takes over. What time do we have for looking and being with God? What time do we have for prayer? And we're going to look at all this busyness against the background of a familiar story, the story of Martha and Mary that Gareth read for us just now. I'd like to start by looking at the whole story so that we can set the scene for what is to follow. And the first thing that I noticed is that it takes place in someone's house. It's quite unusual in the New Testament for there to be a domestic background, so perhaps we'll find a clue there for what Jesus is trying to tell us. Well, as we look at the background, I think that Luke's gospel, more than any of the others, tells us that Jesus has come to revolutionize the world. It doesn't matter whether it was telling his really radical parables or healing people on the wrong day or at the wrong time. He was always crossing boundaries so that he could bring us his message that God loves us, no matter what our race or creed or color. And during this visit to Martha's house, Jesus is telling us 
that there is something very different about his take on women. And if we look carefully, we realize that in this story, not only is he crossing boundaries set by Jews at this time, but also boundaries that most people living in the world at that time would have found very, very hard to deal with. So as we look at the two sisters, let's turn this story on its head for a moment and look at Martha and not Mary as a central character. Let's fill the picture out a little bit more. When we first see Martha, she is a very strong character. And despite her attitude here, she may well have been a disciple of Jesus for some time. Right at the beginning of the reading, it says Martha welcomes Jesus and opens her home to him. So he is a guest in her house. Now, why this is, we can only speculate. There's always the possibility that Mary lives somewhere else and that she's just here by invitation because she wanted to meet Jesus so much. But of course, we'll never know. But they are ideas that make the situation interesting, and at least we can think about them. As we set the scene, I think we need to mention the other story about these two sisters meeting Jesus at the death of their brother Lazarus in John's Gospel. Although, again, we can't be sure it's the same family, we do see Martha again on this occasion as the dominant person and Mary as the supporting artist. But whatever take we have on this, we know that Jesus is Martha's guest in her house. And maybe, like many of us, she would have anticipated receiving something special from Jesus in a way of gratitude for her hospitality and the meal that she was so carefully preparing. Now, I think it's not that Jesus doesn't see her as a real disciple, as someone who works selflessly in God's name and not her own, but he can see into her heart. And he knows that under pressure of work, her judgment has gone a bit askew. And that's why she's finding fault with Mary. And that's why she looks at Mary's lack of physical help with the meal and sees it as selfishness. Of course, it's very important to her that Jesus has honored her by stopping by her house and in the midst of her preparations, she's a bit overwhelmed by all the work she is doing. And this has made her so tired that the tipping point comes as she stands over a hot stove and suddenly sees her sister sitting at Jesus' feet and not even offering to help her in any way. And as she gets really cross, in her anger, she sees a whole lot of different reasons as to why she should be judging Mary. And so you see, it's likely that Martha's problem wasn't just all the jobs yet to be done in the kitchen. Martha's other problem was that she realized that the rules about male and female roles in a conventional Jewish household were being broken. And for her, the picture of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet meant she had crossed a invisible demarcation line. Mary was in her house, in a room she shouldn't be in. And in Martha's eyes, she was behaving as if she was a man. And for her, that was so wrong. Like many of us, Martha was very conventional. 
And she would have seen that as a male teacher, Jesus would be there in the public room, meeting with his disciples and all the men of Bethany. All the women would be in the kitchen, unseen by those who are passing by. And they knew that they could only join the men in rooms set aside for the purpose. The arrangement would never be changed. And so for a woman to settle down comfortably among all those men was not just wrong. It was scandalous. And Mary should have known that. Right from the beginning of his time on earth, Jesus always realized that those who listened to him would take time to understand his message. And what Jesus does next is what happens so many times with all his disciples. Of course, Jesus understands why Martha is being like this. But in his mission as God's son, he has come to change lives and he can't let this go. So he explains the truth to her very firmly, but with great gentleness and great love. He lets her know that all those good things she does could be spoiled if all this self-pity and self-concern about worldly things take over her life. He lets her know that she's been so busy, so wrapped up in her work, that she hasn't even been able to enjoy being with him and listening to him speak, so that she has been missing out on what is the most important thing in her life. Jesus knows that if all his changes to the rules are going to make her feel uncomfortable, this could spoil their relationship. And Jesus lets her know that that would be a great pity. Of course, I presume it's not just Martha he would have a go at about all this, because the other disciples who had come to meet him, I'm sure that they would have been muttering under their breath about this scandalous woman asking themselves, who does she think she is, and coming to the conclusion that only a disreputable woman would behave this way. I'm sure that Jesus tells them in no uncertain times, for him, the only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. What a shock this must have been for all those who were listening. But these words are there to tell everyone around Jesus just what the stakes are in his revolution. And it's better to find out now than later that he will only stand for what is right in his father's world. It doesn't matter who challenges Jesus' way of doing things. He will let them know if there is something going wrong. And if he knows he's right, he will be the first one to break the rules. Mary has done the right thing. She has chosen what is better. She has recognized Jesus for who he is. She has been so impressed by him that she wants to make herself available to listen to everything that he has to say at every possible moment. Jesus has become the center of her life. And nothing else is more important for her and nothing else ever will be. Is that how we feel today? Is Jesus the absolute center of our lives? 
or are we like the BBC manager I worked for? Has our busyness become so important to us that it has become our idol? And that is to the exclusion of everything else. When Jesus affirms Mary in this wonderful way, he is surely giving us all the affirmation we really need when we come to see Jesus as our saviour and realize that he is all that we will ever need. Because Jesus cares for us so much, do we feel that we're responding in the right way? Just think for a moment. How often do we take the time out like Mary and sit at his feet in prayer and just listen to what he is telling us? How often do we actively structure our lives so that we can meet with our friends to talk about our faith? How often do we plan to have time to pray, perhaps with prayer partners, perhaps coming to the prayer meeting and learning who needs praying for each month and why? Do we belong to connect groups because they can help us to have time with Jesus, time to worship him, time to hear his word, and that can really help us to build up our faith lives? Whatever way we look at this reading, one thing is certain. Jesus is asking us to listen more and more as he invites us into God's kingdom. And he is telling us that when we come in from the cold, then we will find the warmth that is God's kingdom, a kingdom that knows no boundaries, will change our lives. When we work hard and people praise us for doing good, a good job of things, then we feel that the rewards are really solid and that we, that can give us a false sense of security. Because whatever it seems like when we first look at it, when we believe in Jesus, we are promised what we are promised is not just an abstract ideal. With Jesus, we are promised great love flowing into our lives until, like Mary, we feel that he is the source of our life and he will take our lives over and make us different people. Jesus has given Mary, a woman who stands for all women at that moment, the right to her place in the room so that she can hear him preach and pray with him. He is telling her that she has as much right as anyone else to hear him speak and to listen to God's message. And that is still Jesus' message to us today. And I like to think that Martha joined Mary and that she was changed by what she heard because if it is the same family we meet in John's Gospel, then we know that both sisters remain good friends with Jesus. So now we've looked at both the stories, Martha's and Mary's. I think we can see that separating the active and the reflective ways of doing God's will isn't the most effective way of leading our lives. It does show us very clearly that we need to plan our lives so that we can do both, because if it wasn't for the first, we wouldn't have the lovely food we have here sometimes at Holy Trinity, and without the second, where would our worship be? Surely Jesus is asking us to give a little bit of both, being a part of a prayer team as well as hosting or leading a connect group. Jesus knew it didn't have to be either or. He knows we're capable of doing both. All we have to do is give ourselves the time and the space 
and the prayer and communion with the Father will come. As the gospel continues, Jesus will go on his way to certain death. But we know he is leaving behind towns and villages and households who will never be the same again. In the story of his life, the Jesus who taught us to pray has given us all those snapshots of God's kingdom and what it will be like. And I hope that all of us have seen that snapshot today and will be led to follow Jesus in that way so that we can find time in our lives to sit at his feet and to be just with him, our Lord and our Saviour. As we sit, let us pray. Lord Jesus, you prayed to your Father at all times and taught us to call God our Father, Abba. As we sit at your feet, help us to find the time and space in our daily lives so that we can pray to you in a deep and meaningful way. And as we listen together, let us hear your message and grasp your will for us now and in the future so that we can pass on your message to everyone we meet. Amen.